So John 14, beginning in verse 6, it reads this way. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The, uh, the topic this morning from our Advent devotional is wisdom. Uh, wisdom. And so we're going to look at wisdom in the scripture this morning, and it's going to lead us to that passage we just read in John chapter 14, that is Jesus. And, uh, but we have a long road to go on before we get there. Uh, and so uh, really this morning, we're going to take, take sort of a journey through the scripture. And uh, so we're going to be in a, a lot of places uh, in the Bible. So you can follow along in your own scripture if you're able to find these passages as fast as I go to them, or most of them will be up on the screen and my challenge is to see if I can go so fast that Michelle on the uh, computer back there gets lost. So that's my, uh, my challenge I've given myself. I'm kidding, Michelle. I'll go easy on you. So wisdom. What is wisdom? And let me just summarize it this way as a way of getting started. Wisdom is the way to go. Wisdom is the way to go. Number one, wisdom as a goal is the way to go. But wisdom is, is sort of, if I can just summarize it in a very simple way, there's more to it than this, but it's the way to go. Wisdom says, you know, we ought to do this. We ought to go there. We ought to say this. We ought to buy this. We ought not to buy this. We ought to. Wisdom has the answer uh, to that question. We want to go through the scripture and understand what does the Bible tell us about the way to go. In this journey, hopefully you'll enjoy it, it's going to take us to some of the oldest uh, places in the Bible. Uh, in fact, we're also going to explore uh, the mines of ancient of the ancient world mines, not mines, but like iron ore mines deep into the earth. Uh, we're going to look at people taking dangerous crossings on ships, and all of these things are designed in the scripture to help us understand wisdom, the way to go. So let's start the way Snoopy would start. I don't know if you've seen Snoopy when he sits atop his um, doghouse and he has a typewriter out. And how does this story always start? It was a dark and stormy night. And so we're going to start in Job chapter 36. It was a dark and stormy, stormy night. Wisdom, the way to go. See God, see wisdom. You probably know the story of Job. He lost everything, lost everyone. And then he had three friends come and comfort him. And they did a terrible job. His friends were not friends. They were terrible friends. But finally, towards the end of the book of Job, here in Chapter 36, a fourth person talks, and his name is Elihu. We know from his own words, he's the youngest of all these uh, folks. Job is the oldest, then Job's three friends, and then there is Elihu. And Elihu has come to correct Job. Job's argument is this, I have received a harsh treatment from God, and I haven't abandoned him and disobeyed him, so I shouldn't be treated this way. 
uh, Job's friend's argument was basically this. Since bad things are happening to you, you must have done something bad. And Elihu comes, and Elihu brings wisdom. And he says that which is true. So we're going to read a lot of Job 36 and 37 uh, together. Job 36, beginning in verse 24, Elihu is speaking to Job. Remember to extol his work. That is God. Remember to extol his work, of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it. Man beholds it from afar. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. For he draws up the drops of water. They distill in his mist in rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds? The thunderings of his pavilion. Verse 30. Behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. Look at that word behold. Verse 30. You have to understand what he's doing here. He's describing the power of God in the storm, a dark and stormy night. But when he says behold, he's not merely saying, you know, think about the storm. What's he doing? Look. Look what's coming. There's a storm on the heart. So he's talking about an actual storm that's coming on them. Saying, look at the storm, and let me explain to you the power of God as this storm moves in on us. Behold, he scatters lightning, and it covers the roots of the sea. You wonder why they didn't go inside. He, for by these he judges people. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning, and he commands it to strike its mark. Its crashing declares its presence. The cattle also declare that he rises. So a lightning storm has formed around them, and what Elihu is doing as he sees the storm, as he's describing to Job, look at the power of God. Can you understand how God does? How it just makes a storm like this? The rain is pouring, the lightning is crashing, and the thunder is exploding, and even the animals, the, the livestock are, are causing a ruckus, as they do when the storm arises. Look at verse 2 of Job 37. Well, let me start in verse 1. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. You ever woke up to thunder? That's why he's, so, he's hearing the storm. He's, and, but, but Elihu, it's not merely a, a fear or trepidation. There's some excitement here because he is seeing the power of God. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and is lightning to the corners of the earth. After it, his voice, voice roars. He thunders with majestic voice, and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. Unfortunately, here in the Northwest, we don't get storms like they do in the Midwest. If, you, if you've lived in the Midwest for any time at all, you know what a thunderstorm is. Out here, we get a little thunder every now and then. In the Midwest, you get stuff knocked off your shelf kind of thunder. And this is the kind of storm that Elihu is experiencing with Job. And Elihu is thrilled at the storm because in it he sees the power of God. Look at verse 6. Let's keep going. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all men whom he made may know it. Then he, the beasts go into their lairs and they remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind. And cold from the scattering winds, by the breath of God, ice is given, and broad waters are frozen. 
He, leads the thick, he loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. Verse 12, they turn around and around by his guidance. What is he describing here? Wind that is swirling, maybe even a tornado kind of thing. A whirlwind is happening here. He's seeing wind and lightning and rain, and he's going, God is powerful. God is mighty. It was a dark and stormy night. There is one storm going on, but there's two visions. When Elihu sees the power of God, he's just, I mean, he's stoked. He's excited. Can you believe God can just gather up in his hands a storm and just unleash it as he sees fit? And and he's excited about it, if not a little intimidated. Verse 14, this is what he says to Job. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Pay attention, Job. How did Job respond to this storm? Let's look down at Job 37. Elihu finishes this way. Elihu finishes this way in Job 37, 24. Therefore, men fear him. God does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. He's being nice. Job, God does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Verse 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. This is where you hope you've got your adult diaper on. (laughs) You're watching this storm, and Elihu is just... This is exciting. And and Job, you can see him and his uh, suspicion and his uh, cynicism. And uh, yeah, it's a nice storm. We've all seen a storm before. We've all seen these kinds of storms. Yes, God is powerful. He made all the storms. It's very nice, Elihu. It's very good. Your Sunday school teacher taught you well. And then the whirlwind talks to him. Oh, oh, we're not playing. And then Job experiences the storm. See, Elihu sees the power of God and he worships. Job in his conceit encounters the power of God and he's left utterly destroyed. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Verse 2, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? I love this. Dress for action like a man. Verse 3, another way of saying it, gird your loins. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, where were you? Tell me if you're understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy. So Elihu and Job experienced the same storm, the same presence of God. Wisdom in humility has a heart lifted up at God's glorious power and worships, recognizing God is God, I am not. Job, in his arrogance and his conceit, confronted by the power of God, is reduced to nothing and filled with fear and filled with dread. How did Job respond? If you look with me down at Job 40, beginning at verse 3. Then Job answered and said this to the Lord, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. 
the smartest thing Job has done in 40 chapters. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Finally, he's getting it. Confronted by the power of the storm, he says, you know what I ought to do? I ought to shut my mouth. How does God respond to this? Verse 7, gird your loins. I will question you and, and you will make known to me. God's not done yet. And he's going to come after Job and make sure he understands. God is God. Job is in no place to question what God is up to. Wisdom is the way to go. Elihu demonstrates wisdom in the presence of God because he sees God and says, oh, I, in beholding God, I see wisdom. Job beheld God and saw injustice. He saw a God who seemed unfair. He saw a God who wasn't kind. Job had decided he knew better than God what ought to be. And so in the presence of the storm, two people had two different visions. One saw the glory of God's majesty, unquestioned and wise. The other, in disbelief and cynicism, saw God as unfair and unjust. And in the presence of power is reduced to humble conviction. See God and see wisdom. Psalm 139, the psalmist tells us in what I think is a beautiful poem. So I'm going to read the first 12 verses of it. Psalm 139, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. This is not about Santa Claus. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind me and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or, or the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. So this is what we have to understand about God's knowledge and his wisdom. It is complete. It is total. All that can be known, God knows comprehensively all at the same time. God is the author of all knowledge and he is the author of all wisdom. Anything that ever has been known, God always knows. You and I are different. We know a lot of things. The problem is we can't remember them. So we know a lot of things some of the time and some of the time we know very little. But we're experts at what we know a little, and so therefore we think we know a lot. God is very different from us. God knows everything. This would be very hard to have an argument with God. Because when you're about to say something, he already knows what you're going to say. And you think, well, I won't know what I'm going to say until the very last minute. And God says, well, that's normally the case. I still know what you're going to say. 
And so David understood in humility, God knows everything. There's nothing that God doesn't know. And it's not merely facts. He doesn't merely have a list of facts. In the midst of everything he knows, he knows what ought to be. And that's wisdom for each one of us. At any given moment in in our life, he knows precisely what wisdom, the way to go is. So the way to find wisdom is to find the one who knows everything and what ought to be in the middle of it. We find wisdom by finding God, because when we see God, we see wisdom. I promised you we'd go into the deep places of the world, into the mind, so let's do that. We're going back to Job. And some of you are wondering, you said we're going to go to some of the oldest stories in the Bible or history in the Bible, the book of Job. The events of Job probably happened before all of the other narrative other than the Garden of Eden. But it was probably happened well before Moses, well before Abraham. And so these are some of the most ancient writings in our scripture, which is fun, I think. Job chapter 28. Job is saying this. For once in the book of Job, he actually said something halfway decent. Here we go. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in the valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it's turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, and the lion has not passed over it. But man, he puts his hand to the flinty rock, and he overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes see every precious thing. He dams up streams so they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden, he brings out. Verse 12, but where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man doesn't know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. So Job imagines here the deep work of those searching out gold and iron and tin and copper. And he says, look what we're able to do. I mean, he's never even seen modern mining. This is mining from three, uh, almost 5,000 years ago, right? And he says, look how far into the world we can go. We can go to places that birds can't go. We can go to places that lions can't go. We go into the dark and take light with us, but then ask any man, where do you find wisdom? And what's the answer? Uh, I don't I have no idea. I know how to find gold. I know how to find ore. I know how to dig deep into the heart of the earth. But man cannot find wisdom on his own because it is God who is wisdom. It is God who brings wisdom forth. Job continues down in verse 23. God understands the way to it. And he knows its place. For he looks to the end of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning and thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it, that is wisdom, and he searched it out. He said to man, listen, behold, 
the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To turn away from evil is understanding. So Job here says, man doesn't know where wisdom is, but God is the author of wisdom. And the, the way we find wisdom is to behold the Lord and recognize he is God, we are not. We, we see the Lord and we say, I should, re- I should recognize he is powerful and he is glorious and he is knowing and I should in some ways even tre- tremble. The fear of the Lord is where wisdom starts. You're confronted with two choices. One is what you want. The other is what you know God wants. And sometimes what Job is saying, wisdom is knowing I ought to do what God wants me to do if for no other reason He's big. So you say, well, I, lo- I want my heart motivated to, do just, to just love the things that God loves. When you're parenting children, you have the same thing. Listen, I want my children, you might say, to do what's right just because they want to do what's right. And that's fantastic. But all parents know this is also the case. Until that day comes, I want them to do what's right because they're afraid of me. I mean, not really afraid, but recognize that I'm the parent. Say, so you know what? We're going to work on you wanting to do good someday. But today, how about you do good so you're not grounded? Because motivation is not a problem for me right now. We'll get that figured out over time. And Job is in some ways saying the same thing. Sure, it'd be great if our heart just yearned for all the things of God all day long. Turns out mine doesn't. Maybe yours does. Wisdom also says what I want has nothing to do with it. Sometimes doing the right thing just because I know God is awesome is pretty wise. And maybe sometimes we just need to let the wisdom, our motivations catch up over time. Wisdom is the way to go. To see God is to see wisdom. And to see God is to have our knees knocked together a little bit. And say, his ways aren't my ways. And to the degree that they're not, I am treading on dangerous ground. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 11. Oftentimes it's called the doxology. We've ended our services with this many occasions over the last few months because we're in the book of Romans. Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For... From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We should see God and wonder at his glory and recognize who has known his mind. When we come to the Lord and we're seeking something to be done in prayer, we we say this is what ought to be. And God sees about a million different other ways it could be and knows of those million different ways that we have no clue about which one ought to be. And God is saying wisdom is coming to the Lord and recognizing that. Wisdom is the way to go, and God is wisdom. To seek God is wisdom. To see God and desire to know him is wisdom. Now, this is lost on our culture. In fact, it's lost on many of us. We want to write God out of the world. And this has been true of all mankind, not just our culture. We want to be God. We learned that in Romans chapter 1. But wisdom says, no, I don't want to be God because I don't do well as God. I want to seek God, and that's wisdom. 
And some of us here, I would hope all of us here have a desire to know God. And humility also says that wisdom, that desire to know God didn't come from me. It came from the Holy Spirit. It didn't come from you. It came from the Holy Spirit and by God's grace, drawing you into desire to know God. And that is great wisdom. To know God is wisdom. But how do we know God? How can anyone know God knowing what we know from Job? So wisdom is a desire to know God, but sin gets in the way. So let's keep going and finally get to the passage we read this morning, John chapter 14. Wisdom, the way to go, see God, see wisdom, and finally this, Jesus is the way to God. Matthew chapter 8. It was a dark and stormy night. Another storm and another two's perspectives on that storm. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. Jesus got into the boat. His disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So much of a storm that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Jesus, though, he was asleep. Unbelievable. The disciples, they went and woke him up. And they said, save us, Lord, we're, we're perishing. All kinds of silly here. He's in the same boat, guys. Anyway. And Jesus said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Their faith demonstrated what? A lack of faith. He rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. And, and the men were marveled. What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? Two storms. Or I should say one storm, two perspectives. Jesus is asleep in the storm and the disciples are freaking out in the storm. There are two powerful forces with them. There is God himself taking a nap in the bow of their boat, and there is a storm, a typical storm in the Sea of Galilee, seeking to seek their boat. Of these two things, which is more scary? God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What are the disciples afraid of? The fact that they were afraid is not the problem. The problem is they were afraid of the wrong thing. They were only afraid of, of a storm that could drown them. That's not something to be afraid of. The worst that storm could do to them is drown them. St sitting in the bow of their boat, though, is God himself, the judge of heaven and earth, who determines where you spend forever. Drowning is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. So the problem is, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. What's the problem? They didn't see God. They saw the storm. And if they would have seen God with eyes of wisdom, they would have said, let him sleep. And it's okay if we drown as long as he gets his rest. And then what does Jesus do in this storm? He rose and he rebuked it because Jesus is a mediator. If we understand this storm the way we understand the storm in Job's life, is this storm just some random meteorologic event? No. Storms are God. 
demonstrating his power. And here in this case in particular, it's God asserting himself into the lives of the disciples, wanting them to see the power of God. And Jesus mediates the power of God in his disciples. Jesus stands in the middle between the power of God and his storm and his disciples and their fear of the wrong thing. So now we finally arrived at our passage, John chapter 14. This mediatorial role of Jesus. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you know the Father. And Philip is saying, show us the Father. He has the right desire. And Jesus is troubled by this. He says, look, have I been this, with you this long, Philip, and you don't even understand what's going on? If you know me, you know the Father, because I and the Father are one, and the Father are, is in me. And my words and my works are the words and works of the Father. The way to know God is Jesus. Wisdom is the way to go. To know wisdom, you have to know God. And the way to get to God is through Jesus. And it's the only way. To have wisdom, you must have Christ so that you can have the Father because Jesus is God himself. Jesus is the way to know God. Jesus is the way to know the Father. At the end of the book of Job, after Job has talked to a tornado for a while, Job then comes, or God then comes to Job's friends. You can look this up later. It's not on your slides. Job then comes to, I'm sorry, God goes to Job's friends, the three friends, not Elihu, the three friends, and say, you know what? You guys are terrible. You did not speak true about me. Job, he's got a bad attitude, yes, but at least he told the truth. You guys don't know God from anything. You, t- you said what was not true about me. So therefore, God says this to his friends. I tell you what, I will forgive you if Job will pray for you. Could you imagine what they're thinking in that moment? We have just spent 36 chapters telling this guy the reason his children died. He lost everything. He's covered from head to foot with boils. And the one thing that's left in his life is what? His wife, lovely lady, the only words she says in the book of Job are, would you curse God and die? Very nice. Thank you. Yeah. So his friends have told him all of these things are his fault because he's a dirty, rotten sinner. That's true. But, but God says, no, 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 all these things happen to Job because I'm God. I get to do what I want. So what you have said, friends, is not true of me. The guy you just spent 36 chapters lying to, if he prays for you, I'll forgive you. What do we call that? Call that a mediator. And what does Job do? Many of us don't read this part of Job because we get get to about chapter 20 and we say, forget it, this book is terrible. It's depressing. It's not exciting till the end. Like Ecclesiastes, depressing book unless you read the last verse. Now you're going to read it. Good. So his friends bring a sacrifice to him, and they offer a sacrifice, and Job prayed for his friends, and God forgave him. So Job acted as a mediator between his friends and God. Guess what? Job is a lousy mediator. If he's your mediator, you got problems. We have what? We have the best mediator. Because our mediator is God himself. He doesn't merely mediate between us and God the storm. 
Jesus is God. He's the storm too. And he mediates between us and God. If you want wisdom, you want God. If you want God, Jesus is the only way to know him. Jesus is wisdom when we say, Jesus, I need you to mediate between God and I. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. This is our last scripture passage. We cover it. Feel like you've read the whole Bible? I'm going to read verse 18 through verse 30. For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness, folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach what? Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness or folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the what? The wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world standards. That's insulting. Not many of you were powerful, not many were noble, but God chose what is foolish in the world. You, sorry, that's what he's saying. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, and because of him... You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Worldly worldly wisdom by God's power is ruined and wisdom now is Christ crucified, raised from the dead. Jesus is wisdom because he is the way to God through the power of his death, burial and resurrection. The way to wisdom is to trust Jesus for forgiveness of our sins because now we have access to God who is wisdom. And when we celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas, we're celebrating God's wisdom breaking through the ages of sinful foolishness. Three quick things before we close, and the worship team will come up and we'll have a closing song. Jesus is our way to the wisdom of God. Think of all the things that you pursue. If you're like me, there's lots of things you might pursue. The question we might have when we think of, of those poems that, that Job wrote, pursuing iron deep into the mountains, of all the things that we pursue, how high does pursuing God rank in our pursuits? We have a lot of pursuits. Wisdom says this, seeking the Lord is the highest of all ambitions. And I don't care how ambitious you are, wisdom says seeking the Lord is the highest of all ambitions. 
If someone tells you they want to seek the Lord, you are hearing words from that person that are the wisest words that can be spoken. Especially when young people are growing up, we think ambitious kids want to go to college or excel in a military career or excel at a trade. Wisdom says the ambition of seeking the Lord is the highest of all ambitions. We tend to say, pursue the Lord while you seek important ambitions. The Bible flips that on its head and says, have the wisdom of pursuing the Lord as your highest ambition and pursue some other things on the side like a career and stuff. That's what the Bible says. And you say, well, that sounds foolish. Then we're close. Because the wisdom of God is foolishness to this age. Second thing, if you want to pursue God, how are you going to pursue God? Are you going to pursue God by being intellectual? Are you going to be, pursue God by being well-behaved? Are you going to be, pursue God by having a good religious reputation? Are you going to pursue God by being very disciplined and having good spiritual habits? None of these will work. Wisdom said the only way to pursue God is through wisdom, and wisdom is Jesus Christ. The way we pursue God is through Jesus. Day in and day out, waking up again today and saying, Lord, I need your grace poured out on me again today. Let me pursue you through Jesus. Last one, and then we'll close. Everyone will encounter the storm of God's glory at some point. Everyone will encounter the storm of God's glory at some point. Everybody meets God, and God's a storm of glory. This is going to sound silly, but this is what I came up with. Are you ready? Make sure Jesus is in your boat. If you're going to have to face the storm of God's glory, make sure you got someone in your boat who can mediate that storm for you. Because if you're going to just go with an umbrella and a Weather Channel blue jacket, you've seen those guys standing in a hurricane? It's not going to hold up. You'll be done for. The only way to stand in the presence of God's glorious storm is if God himself mediates that relationship for you. Make sure Jesus is in your boat with you.